Hey, this is Dan Wunderlich from Defining Grace, and welcome to Art of the Sermon, a show for preachers, teachers, and communicators. This is episode 14, our mid-month episode for April 2016. Well, as April draws to a close, this is our six-month mark for doing this podcast, and I am so grateful for all of you who have been listening and sharing the podcast with your friends and colleagues, and I want to say a special welcome to all our new listeners, especially those who may have found us through Ministry Matters and Google Play Music. Now, if you're in ministry or Facebook friends with folks in ministry, you've likely seen posts from Ministry Matters. One of the awesome things they do is grab lots of great content from around the web and bring it all to one place, and I'm excited to share that we're now one of those sources. So thank you to Shane and his team at Ministry Matters and hello to all the folks who found us through that site. And also Android folks, you're finally getting some love on the podcast front. Uh, Google has added podcasts to Google Play Music and likely if you're already listening to this and other podcasts, you have an alternative podcast app that you've been using. But if it's not doing it for you, you may want to try something new and you can now find us, Art of the Sermon, on Google Play Music. Now one quick announcement before we jump into to the meat of the show, I'll be participating in the North Carolina Preaching Festival, which is next Monday through Wednesday. So if you're listening to this on download day, those dates are April 25th through 27th, 2016. And I'm teaching a workshop called Extending the Sermon on how to adapt sermon material for other channels and platforms. But the main reason you're going to want to come is because the headline speaker is Nadia Boltz-Weber. She is amazing, and she and a whole slate of awesome preachers are going to be exploring the theme text to context, and it's not too late to register. So if you're feeling like you need to get away next week, if you need some time to be refreshed by learning and connecting with colleagues, or if you're in need of some great continuing ed, you can get more info and register at ncpreachingfestival.org. Again, that is ncpreachingfestival.org. And if you're planning on coming or you make that last minute decision to come, be sure to come and find me and say hi, because I do this show for all of you guys, the listeners, all of you uh, amazing men and women who are out there teaching and preaching and communicating, and so I always want to get a chance to connect with you when I can. And part of the way that we build that connection through the show is by including your thoughts and reactions as part of the show, especially here during the mid-month episode. So first, I want to share part of an email I received from a pastor named Abby from Kansas who wrote, I never felt the call to preach. Are there people out there who struggle with reading, thinking, preparing, and writing the sermon because you feel like you should be doing something else? I just can't wrap my head around the fact that I get to read and write and think, and I get paid for that. My call to service is strong, so I feel like I should be doing something by serving. My personality is extroverted, so I enjoy the energy of being with people. At the same time, I am an academic, and I love studying and learning. I feel like my personality and my identity as a preacher are in constant battle, and this battle is created by me. No one is criticizing my sermons or my time management as a pastor. The pressure is self-imposed. Well, I wrote Abby back with some thoughts that I had, namely that she is totally not alone and feeling that there are parts of ministry to which we're more called than others. There are certainly parts of the job of being a pastor, even parts of being a preacher that aren't as fun or aren't as fulfilling, things that we're not quite as passionate about. I also talked with her some about maybe defining the role of preaching in her work and in her community in the church, and that might help make connections between the things that she does as a preacher and the other things that she loves to do. However, I want to open 
open it up to all of you because the particulars of her question are not something that I've experienced. Preaching has always been one of my favorite things to do, but I know that there are some of you out there who can identify with what Abby's feeling. Uh, You want to be a good preacher. You know it's part of the job, but maybe it's not the primary thing or maybe not the thing you felt most called to. That's even something that our guest this month, Derek Scott, shared in our interview earlier this month. So if you have any thoughts or words of encouragement for Abby, you can tweet them to me at Art of the Sermon or comment on the show notes at artofthesermon.com or you can use the contact form at the bottom of the website to send me a message. I would love for Abby to get some support from our awesome community of listeners. Next, the interview with Derek ended up being really powerful for some of you. I received a text from a friend who said that he was literally brought to tears because he heard so much of his own journey and call and what Derek shared. And that's part of what this whole podcast thing is about for me. Obviously, I want to learn and grow and improve, but so much can come from identifying with one another and realizing that we're not alone. Other people are going through and experiencing and thinking about the same things. We share our joys and our struggles, our questions and our encouragement. That's part of the reason why I shared Abby's email with you. And then Haley left us a comment on Facebook talking about the power of lay people hearing the stories of other lay people in ministry. Ordination is definitely a calling. Some people are called to it, some people are not, but it's not a prerequisite for ministry. And so people like Derek's college students are able to see in him someone who's serving the church without necessarily following the path to ordination, and perhaps it will challenge them to think about what role they can play. Now, during last April's mid-month episode, we talked briefly about when things don't quite come out the way you intended them to. The flare-up had just happened with Andy Stanley making some comments about small churches that rub people the wrong way, and we talked about how we've all had instances like this, especially when we go off script. And so I asked you if you had any stories like this, and man, Rick came through. Rick wrote in on Twitter to say that he was really on a roll one Sunday talking about those times when it feels like life is falling apart, and he used the phrase, and I quote, demonic vultures falling from heaven demonic vultures falling from heaven. He said it was one of those things where he didn't even really notice it in the moment. He was just, you know, on a roll. And then at coffee time after the service, it hit him and he asked someone, did I really say demonic vultures? And and, and everybody just burst out laughing really hard because it's one of those things that it just, who knows where it came from. And I pretty much had the opposite thing happen to me one Easter Sunday. I was still really new to preaching and I wasn't always great about preparing and really knowing my outline as well as I should. And I titled the sermon Jesus and the grocery store, and I completely forgot to mention anything relating to a grocery store. Now, clearly that illustration must not have been central to the sermon because I still preached a full sermon as far as I recall, but I I thought, I guess, that it would make for a more interesting title, and so then I had to spend all of the coffee time fielding questions about what was up with the grocery store. (laughs) We have amazing brains, don't we, and sometimes they can kind of get ahead of us or spiral a little bit out of control when we're preaching and teaching. And we're about to hear more from this month's guest, Derek Scott III. But first, congratulations are in order for Father Jonathan and his family. During Holy Week, I used the Art of the Sermon Twitter account to post some memes and some other things during the week to try to break up some of the stress of Holy Week. And the first one was a post on Wednesday where I asked, who has all their Holy Week sermons done? And it was accompanied by a gif of one of the Doctor Who docs shaking their head no. And Father Jonathan wrote back, and who's really nervous about that because their wife just went 
went into labor, accompanied by a lady sheepishly raising her hand. Well, Father Jonathan, his wife, and their daughter were happy to welcome a new baby boy into their family that evening, the Wednesday of Holy Week. Congratulations, Father Jonathan, to you and your whole family. We're all so happy for you. And now I am excited to share with you more from my interview with this month's guest, Derek Scott III. As we covered last episode, he's a college campus minister who serves students across three campuses in two different cities. In the first clip, he talks about the practical challenges as well as balancing the mission and vision across all those locations. Then, in the midst of all he was already doing, God placed on his heart the vision for a completely separate ministry aimed at young adults in downtown Jacksonville, Florida. He talks openly and honestly about the struggle he had with that vision, where it's at now, and the realities of starting fresh expressions of ministry. So here's more with Derek Scott III. Now, in addition, you're not just multi-campus, but correct me if I'm wrong, you all also don't have a building. Is that correct? You all are completely mobile ministry? Yes, we are a mobile ministry. We have some spots where we you know, drop some things off. I've got the admin office in my house. So that's where like all of our files and stuff are kept. Um, we've got some space at a local church in uh, the center of Jacksonville, an area called San Marco. Um, and so we store some things there. And then we've got our parsonage, which is where we store a lot of things as well. Um, and also we're housing some interns at the moment. There's just no way that we could do what we do if we were really leaning in on one central location. We kind of just... Uh, we drive a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's awesome, and I think that's a, a at least to me that's a very unique model of ministry, and certainly a unique model of campus ministry. Because when you hear about multi-campus, especially churches, they usually have you know some really big main campus, uh, and then they might have some other buildings or some other schools and things. But I think to be sort of a fully distributed mobile ministry across m- multiple places. I mean, that that certainly sounds a little, uh, you know, New Testament church-like to me. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, one of the fascinating things for me is to watch where the leadership kind of emerges. There's a model that says that UNF, University of North Florida, 16,000 students would probably be like the the main campus that we would serve. And then JU, which has 3,500 students, and Flagler, which has 2,500 students, they would sort of just be kind of coming along. But the leadership kind of pops up in all three locations. There isn't one campus that kind of dominates the campus ministry conversation for us. And that, in a sense, also makes our job a little bit harder because when, you know, leadership and um, receptivity to what we're doing happens at Flagler, you want to respond to that. And at the same time, if UNF isn't, you know, really bringing in, um, more people, and we feel like we're just not really hitting the mark when in regard to ministry, we actually want to think a little bit more and reflect a little bit more at UNF as opposed to just like launching out and just doing a, a bunch of stuff there. So I guess my point in that is that, yeah, I mean, it is very, it's both mobile physically, but also mobile philosophically, because depending on what God's doing across the campuses, um, we kind of have to be attentive at all three and have the same level of attentiveness. And so it's, it, it is a little different than having like a main campus that you focus on 
And then if we have a, a chance, we'll go to that other campus. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's really that's really interesting. And probably I should have you back at some point in the future to talk more specifically about this model, because I think there's probably a lot of pastors that that may feel that way if they're leading multi-campus or they're thinking about multi-campus. It's, there's a lot of unique challenges in there. Yeah, yeah. We love what we get to do, and it is challenging. It is, you know, it's difficult to find models that we can look at. We can look at the multi-site church model, but again, that really is about often people coming to a location and we are going to students and we're not trying to pull students off of their campus to create church. We're actually trying to cultivate Christian community on their campus while having sort of this sense that we are a part of something larger that's regional. So there are not a lot of models that, um, at least contemporary models that we can look at. But I think some of the initial ideas behind John Wesley's movement become really helpful for us. Um, when we start thinking about what we're doing, um, that itineracy kind of thought, you know, going from place to place, those are some of the resources that we draw upon. But in many ways, you know, it is a different model and we don't have a lot of examples to look at of you know what's successful and what works and how do we not reinvent the wheel in this moment so that that can be really fun and also a little bit frustrating sometimes too yeah well i know that uh, a lot of people are going to appreciate you doing the hard work because when others try to do this they'll have something to look to so uh thank you thank you for all of the blood sweat tears and prayers that you've poured into it all good man all good Well, as if you weren't busy enough between all of your campuses as a campus minister, last fall you launched a new ministry project called Urban Soul. You had Mm -hmm. your first event. It was a concert at a local brewery there in Jacksonville, Florida. And this episode is going to come out at the beginning of April. But between uh, recording and it coming out in April, you've got another event coming up in March. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your vision for Urban Soul, um, what it looks like, what your mission is, and uh, maybe about what these events have looked like. I actually live 20 minutes from my closest campus. I live in the urban core of Jacksonville. There's several neighborhoods that make up that urban core area here. And the urban core is sort of the place where all the hipsters are moving to, have not already moved to. All the cool places to eat and cool places to drink, to be honest. They are primarily in the urban core. And so you have this huge group of millennials that are living and working and hanging out in this area. You know, living here and spending time with them here, just right in my backyard, I recognized that a good number of them are not necessarily non-Christians truly, like never heard of Jesus, though there are some that they have no understanding of church life and it's Jesus why and Jesus who um, in many ways. Most of them are actually what we would probably say are de-churched. Mm. They are individuals who have a history with Jesus, but that history is sort of uh, in a very long pause right now. And many of the young adults that I get to spend time with aren't really sure if they want to go on with Jesus. They're not really sure if church in whatever form it comes in, the contemporary and the traditional models, um, if they want to continue with that. They're not sure if faith is something that is for them. And we can you know, sort of rationalize some of this to just their stage of life. Many of them are single. 
if they are in relationship, they're not necessarily married. Um, so you can make a, a number of assumptions about that. They're transient. Most of them are renting. They're not buying homes. There's all kinds of you know data that you know sociologi- sociologists and and people who love demographics would look at. But what I see is a bunch of individuals who sat in church for many years, some of them not many years, and some of them for a really long time. And uh, they're just not sure if that's really where they want to be. But that doesn't mean that they they don't want to be in spiritual conversations. And it doesn't mean that they do not want to be in spiritually meaningful environments. And so um, about three years ago, I felt... Um, and I always am hesitant when I'm like, I felt or I heard <laughs> right, the spirit right. say something to me because I'm sure I'm getting something wrong in that whole thing. But I felt like God was like, dude, Derek, we got to do something about this. And my response to that moment, that thing was either I'm not hearing God very well because I'm way too busy and there's absolutely no way that God would ask me to do one more thing or I am hearing God well and no, God, I'm doing too much already as it is, yeah. and can't do one more thing. I, I'll, I'm going to be really honest, if that's okay. Sure, go for it. I um, consistently said no to starting something for this group of people here in the urban core. Um, consistently and, and very confidently told my God no. How do I know God is gracious? Because I have not been obliterated off the planet for telling my God no, um, <laughs> consistently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> On top of that, he sent Jesus. Um, and um, finally, it just was too much. I found myself sitting in way too many conversations with people that I knew were not going to anybody's church. And those conversations very quickly went to Jesus. And, oh, I hear you're a pastor, that you work for the church. Wow. Tell me more, which is not supposed to happen, um, right, especially right. when you're when you're sitting in, um, you know, when you're sitting in a bar just trying to introvert, and you assume that nobody cares that you're a pastor. And then all of a sudden, they all care, and they all want to know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, that's just not supposed to happen. And uh, so I finally said, "Okay, fine, Jesus, I'm going to do something, and I'm going to do it in a way that I know is not going to work." so that I can clear my conscience and say, well, I did something and it didn't work for this. So go find somebody else. And uh, so I did that. And we started Urban Soul, sort of this soft kind of launch. And we did these house worship gatherings. Um, But I honestly did them in such a way that I knew I wasn't going to really be inviting many of these individuals that I had been meeting in the urban core. Um, I did it in such a way that um, it really was only going to be inviting to people who already like doing house worship things. And so I did it and I finished it and I was like, see Jesus, I did it and it was cool, but it was only cool for these people who are already churched and already have places to go. And, um, and so I've just felt like, um, and I'm being so transparent. I hope I don't get fired for any of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did that to sort of just get God off my back yeah, and it yeah. didn't work. I mean, it just did not work. And the more I was doing for the church and the more I was doing for the institutional church, the more Jesus just kept doing things that was like, no, dude, I want you to do this. And so in October of 2015, I took a huge step of faith 
got a beautiful relationship with some folks at a local brewery here in town, craft brewery, called Intuition Ale Works. And they allowed me to host an event there that was going to be the official real launch of Urban Soul. I invited a good friend of mine, Justin McRoberts, who is a singer, songwriter, pastor, storyteller from uh, California, from the Bay Area. And I invited him to come and just talk and sing for a night. And, uh, and I just put the invitation out there, had some good friends to help me you know, make the event happen because everything I do is in, in the context of community. And so we did it together. And I said, Jesus, if this is going to work, I want 50 people to show up. And again, who do I think I am telling Jesus all of this stuff? But um, I said, Jesus, if this is going to work, I need 50 people. I got some funding from the Fresh Expressions initiative here in the Florida Conference. And so that helped make it happen as well. But it didn't cover all of the expenses, obviously. And I didn't want to put the burden on our campus ministry either. And so I said, Jesus, we need 50 people. 54 people showed up, just to be wow. honest. And um, so Jesus was like, I got you. And um, and it was an amazing night. It was one of those kind of nights that you can't act like God didn't do something. You And I wake up every day being reminded of what God did that October night. Yeah. So the, the next, the thing that I said that night was pay attention to social media because we'll probably do something maybe in November or maybe December, but we'll do something soon and we'll get back to you. And uh, we're recording this podcast about middle of February and um, our next event is March 8th. We have not done anything since October. And here's the reason why I was so hesitant back three years ago to even get engaged in this moment. I knew that I didn't have a lot of bandwidth. I knew that I didn't have a lot of space to create something. And so Mm -hmm. I felt like, God, either wait till I have more space to create something. And even back then, three years ago, we weren't on a third campus um, as far as our campus ministry. But God, wait till I have more bandwidth to do it or find somebody that isn't as busy to do it. And I can't tell you why God didn't give me that out. And it's it 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 is it sucks to um, <laughs> yeah not feel like I have enough time yeah but I, I'll tell you the beauty of it is that this thing is so organic and this thing is so it isn't contrived it, it us to, to for us to get to the March eighth event we actually went through a number of dates me and the folks that I'm working with I'm working with a really cool friend um, named Rebecca Epler. Um, who's a part of our campus ministry on some levels, but, um, but has helped me with Urban Soul. Um, she's also a really good friend. And then I've got another friend named Alex Card, who works at the church that I worked at for a long time. And she's working with a lot of the young adults that I worked with when I was working at that church. And so she's working with me as well. And so the three of us, we spent weeks trying to come up with a date and then going back to intuition to get a date with them and then trying to figure out what's the best environment and so many conversations and so much stuff. And he was like, Oh my gosh, it's just so much. And I get the reason why I'm telling this part of the story. I think it's really important for people to hear is that when you're pioneering something new, it is a pioneering work and it is a success sometimes, but failure most of the time. It's heartbreaking in the sense that it would also be backbreaking work, it's heartbreaking work. 
And I do think, outside of Derek being a part of the Urban Soul story, I do think that that is a part of the plan of God in pioneering new things. I'm going to say this last thing, and then you can take the conversation where you want to take it. I think my biggest hang-up with Urban Soul is that I feel like the story is supposed to be much cleaner mm. and that it's supposed to be much, it's supposed to be quicker. It's supposed to you know, go up and to the right from the moment that I start. And I think a lot of that is because consumer Christianity told me that's how these things start. Right. You plant a church and you do a little bit of advertising, but God shows up and everybody comes to your church plant over the first few weeks, and then you've got to do new services, and you've got <laughs> right. to hire staff, and you got to get and you got to get more money. But then God provides, and then there's more money, and then you build a building, and everything's just up and to the right. And you're one of the fastest growing churches in the United States, and you're going to conferences, and everything's beautiful, and your 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 family still loves you. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. And I I'm just convinced that that's that that is. That is the glossed over version of those stories. Mm, um, mm-hmm. And I think the real story is we, we, the, the beginning of Urban Soul was a wrestling match between me and my God. And then when I said a complete yes to my God, it went great. But then I didn't know what to do next. And I didn't even have any time to figure it out. Mm. It's so messy, Dan. It's beautiful. Because if Urban Soul is ever anything... It's going to be because of God yeah. and not because I was organized. <laughs> right, right. So right. I'm going to stop there and you can take the journey wherever you need to take it. Thank you so much for joining me for episode 14 of Art of the Sermon. You can find show notes, including links to some of the things that we talked about at artofthesermon.com. As always, I would love to hear what you think about the show, and I want your input to be a part of the conversation. So you can connect with me through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all at username Art of the Sermon. And if you'd like to support the show, I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play Music, or your favorite podcast app so that new episodes are downloaded as soon as they're live. And of course, in addition to sharing the show with your friends, the best way to help us out is to leave a review in the iTunes store. This lets iTunes know that you care about the show and want other people to find it. Our next episode is scheduled to go live on May 5th, and so in two weeks, you'll get to hear my interview with Dr. Brian Russell, a seminary professor and author of the new book, Realigning with God, Reading Scripture for Church and World. Thank you again so much for joining me, and I'll catch you next time on Art of the Sermon.